Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Good evening, and welcome to the Creepy Little Book. It's the home for the fringe and the unusual. Everything from the esoteric to the extraterrestrial, the spiritual to the supernatural, and all that lies between. Now, I am your humble host, Pete, a simple master of mysteries, an antiquary of the arcane. Or maybe just a weirdo in the dark. Your mileage may vary. You can make up your own mind about that at the end of the night. <clears throat> but what we do here is have fun. We talk about various mysteries that span time and space, alternate realities, international creatures, extraterrestrials, all that fun stuff. And that's exactly what we're going to get into tonight. From Beyond the Stars They Come. UFO. We're going to talk about some famous UFO incidents this evening. See about the similarities and the differences. We're going to trace it way back to the beginning of the modern era. But before we begin, let me take a moment to thank our moderator, Tina Tomaszewski, for tuning in tonight. Thanks for being here, Tina. I do appreciate it. Thank you very much for holding it down in the chat for us. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Now, uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for being here this evening. I really do appreciate your time, your energy, and your contributions to these conversations. So I hope you're ready for a fun one tonight. Let's go. All right. So as I mentioned, this is the creepy little book. I am your host, Pete, and here we deal with all things fun and fringe. And tonight's weird fringe topic is the UFO phenomenon from the stars they come. You know, these strange creatures from beyond space and time. And one of these UFO crashes I came across was Cape Girardeau. A UFO crash that occurred way back in 1941. 1941. Everyone was told not to talk about it. It was a matter of national security. It didn't happen. According to what Smith found out. That's uh, Paul Blake Smith, author of MOA 41, the bombshell before Roswell. Well, according to Smith, a UFO went down in a field somewhere west of Cape Girardeau Airport between Cape Girardeau and Caffey. His main sources for the detail of the crash was the granddaughter of a pastor named William G. Huffman. The granddaughter said Huffman was called to a scene of a plane crash to pray for the victims. When he got there, he got the shock of his life. This was no cylindrical airplane with wings or propellers. This was a round silver disc that was broken open, and there was debris, metallic shards in the field that had set fire to the field. According to Smith and Huffman's granddaughter, there were three creatures at the scene. They said they had already died. Uh, by the time Hoffman arrived, at least two of them. One was apparently still alive, still breathing as the Reverend Huffman knelt over this creature. And they were about three and a half to four feet tall, your typical grays as we would call them today, with big black eyes and long thin arms and legs. And the creatures expired in front of him, said Smith. Then the military eventually arrived at the craft site, forcing everyone to secrecy and took all the evidence. 
Ever since, it's been a big mystery. Where did they take the evidence? The bodies, the debris, the crashed vehicle that was cracked open, which Reverend Hoffman said had little gauges on kind of an instrument panel and tiny little seats and some hieroglyphic writing on a silver band inside the cockpit. He couldn't make it out. He thought it was very mysterious. So this story uh, got squashed. 1941. Could it be possible that they re recovered a crash in 1941, long before Roswell? I don't doubt it. I don't doubt the possibility exists. Not one bit. I mean, think about the Foo Fighters that they saw in the 40s all throughout World War II. Metallic spheres and colorful balls of light repeatedly spotted and originally photographed worldwide by bomber crews during World War II. So who knows what those were? Uh, you know, a precursor to more detailed sightings that would occur. But, you know, you can take this all the way back to the mystery airships of 1909. With a miracle of the sun that occurred in Fatima, Portugal, often associated with Our Lady of Fatima. And the Three Secrets of Fatima, which we've done a show on here. Uh, 1942 is the Battle of Los Angeles, okay? The Great Los Angeles Air Raid, the name given by the contemporary source to a rumored attack on the continental U.S. by Imperial Japan a subsequent anti-aircraft barrage, which took place late February 24th to early February 25th, 1942, over Los Angeles, California. The incident occurred less than three months after the U.S. entered World War II in response to the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, and one day after the bombardment of the Elwood near Santa Barbara on the 23rd of February. Initially, the target was thought, uh, an aerial barrage was thought to be an attack force from Japan. But speaking... At a press conference shortly afterwards, Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox called the report a false alarm. Newspapers at the time published a number of reports and speculations of a cover-up to conceal an actual invasion by enemy airplanes. When documenting the incident in 1949, the U.S. Coast Guard Artillery uh, Association identified a meteorological balloon sent aloft at 1 a.m. as having started all the shooting. That concluded once the firing started, imaginations created all kinds of targets in the sky and everyone joined in. In, 18, in uh, 1983, the U.S. Office of Air History attributed the event to a case of war nerves triggered by a lost weather balloon and exacerbated by stray flares and shell bursts from adjoining batteries. Oh, so it was just, we just bombarded a balloon for 12 hours and uh, that's, we were just crazy at this balloon and it, it didn't come down. Very bizarre. Very bizarre stuff. Oh, got a quick super chat coming in. Hello, Jack D. Whiskey for $1.99. Says, hey, you. Well, hey, you, Jack D. Whiskey. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. Yeah, in this case, it, does, it turns out to be a weather balloon. The uh, Battle of Los Angeles. We, oh, we just, uh, it was a wayward balloon. It was a barrage balloon. It was just uh you know, people were nerves, they're jittery nerves, and they shot this balloon for 12 hours, and, uh, you know, nothing. I guess nothing happened to the balloon the whole time. I guess the balloon was just built for it tough. They could take it. Uh, ghost rockets in Scandinavia. Numerous UFO sightings were reported over Scandinavia, causing the Swedish defense staff to express concern. They called them the ghost rockets in 1946. Uh, let me see. Sweden. Gostra Karasin reports seeing a flying saucer and its alien passengers. A model of it is now erected at the site. This case was publicly reported in 1995. The UFO Memorial at Angel Home. Let's see. The landing of UFO, which took place in May 1946, 
To have been swinged by Swedish entrepreneur, founder, and owner of Carnell's AB, Gostra Carlson, is situated in a forest clearing at Cog Kronos Gogen, which had witnessed numerous large scale test flights in that time period. Let's see. According to him, there was no convincing evidence the event took place the way it was described. A few such other memorials exist in Europe. There's a memorial to this UFO uh, incident here. So they've got it set up in a park in the middle of nowhere because this is where the UFO incident occurred. So this is where they set up the memorial for it. Silly me. Silly me. I was just totally lost in thought there. Didn't realize exactly what was happening. So that that's that's what it's all boiling down to. The uh, Angel Home Christian Stands Country UFO in Sweden. There's the Murray Island incident from 1947. Uh, falling debris and threats made by men in black following the sightings of an unidentified flying object in the skies over Murray Island in Puget Sound. <clears throat> On June 24, 1947, private pilot Kenneth Arnold claimed he saw a string of nine shiny, unidentified objects flying past Mount Rainier at speeds that Arnold estimated at a minimum of 1,200 miles per hour. Arnold's report garnered nationwide news coverage, and his description of the objects also led to the press quickly coining the term flying saucer and flying disc as a popular descriptive term for UFOs. After his story was publicized, Arnold was contracted by Raymond A. Palmer, editor of Fringe Sci-Fi Magazine, Amazing Stories. Palmer relayed to Arnold the story of two harbor patrolmen in Tacoma who reportedly possessed fragments of a flying saucer. Palmer requested that Arnold fly to Tacoma to investigate, and on July 28th, Palmer wired $200 to Arnold to fund the investigation. On July 29th, Arnold interviewed Harold Dahl, who reported on June 21st, 1947, in the afternoon, about 2 o'clock, as patrolling the East Bay of Murray Island. Uh, I, as captain, was steering my patrol boat close to the shore of the bay on Murray Island. On board were two crewmen, my 15-year-old son and his dog. As I looked up from the wheel on my boat, I noticed six very large donut-shaped aircraft. Dahl further exclaimed that one of the objects began spewing forth what seemed like thousands of newspapers from somewhere on the inside of its center. It's newspapers, which turned out to be a white type of very fine, lightweight metal, fluttered to earth. He reported the substance that resembled lava rocks on their boat breaking a worker's arm and killing a dog. Dahl said his superior officer investigated. Dahl also claimed he was later approached by a man in a dark suit and told not to talk about the incident. Chrisman, when interviewed, reported having recovered debris from Murray Island and having witnessed the unusual aircraft. Arnold first recruited Captain E.J. Smith of United Airlines, who had reportedly witnessed a flying disc on July 4th. Chrisman showed white metal debris to Arnold and Smith, who interpreted it as mundane and inconsistent with Dahl's description. Arnold then contracted Lieutenant Frank Brown of Military Intelligence, 4th Air Force Field, Fort Hammond, California. Brown arrived at Arnold's Hotel in Tacoma along with Captain William L. Davidson. Davidson and Brown conducted interviews, collected fragments, and prepared for the return flight out of McCord. According to the press release, the two officers then died in a crash on their way back to California. Oh, that's not good. <clears throat> that's not good at all. Um... So, uh, yeah, that, that's how that goes down. Uh, writing in 1956, Air Force officer Edward J. Rupert concluded the whole Murray Island incident was a hoax. It's first, possibly the second best, and the dirtiest hoax in the history of UFOs. Uh, so, at least that's what Air Force officer Edward J. Rupert was saying about the whole Murray Island incident, whether or not they did see uh, strange UFOs. In the sky, expelling a strange substance into the environment. That's weird. That's a weird one. The Murray Island incident. Very strange stuff. Who knows what's going on there? Who knows what was happening there? What were they doing? 
Was it some kind of weapon? Was it some kind of defense mechanism? Some kind of scientific experiment? What were they doing? What was the weird stuff? I don't know. I find it very bizarre, though. I find it very bizarre. Very strange aspect of that story. Very strange one. A little more strange than the uh, the uh, some of the previous stuff we were talking about. This one's just really weird because the men in black are tied to it too. You know, like after they saw this, people were like, "Hey, you don't talk about this. You didn't see this. You didn't see anything." Yeah. June 21st, 1947. This is a time rich for UFO incidents. I mean, we're talking rich for UFO incidents. Because <clears throat> Kenneth Arnold has his UFO sighting north of Mount Rainier where he saw those uh, nine UFOs. There were more in Washington State. Several UFO sightings reported after the sightings of Kenneth Arnold. Then Roswell happens in 1947. The United States Air Force announces the capture of a flying saucer. Hours later, the Army announces the find was a crash weather balloon. In 1978, the case regained attention after Army officer Jesse Marcel told UFO researchers the weather balloon explanation was a cover story. Dun, dun, dun! Well, there we go. The Roswell incident. And who knows? Who knows what Kenneth Arnold was saying? Kenneth Arnold was like, uh, he's, he's, he saw the craft. That's where they got the term "flying saucer" from because it was his eyewitness testimony to seeing those craft up in Mount Rainier. You know these uh, these strange stories. What year are we in? What year are we in? <clears throat> Thomas Mantell. He crashed while in pursuit of a UFO. U.S. Air Force sent a fighter pilot to investigate a UFO sighting over Fort Knox, Kentucky. But he crashed. While chasing the extraterrestrial craft. Well, who knows? The unidentified flying object doesn't necessarily mean it was an extraterrestrial craft. But one wonders. One wonders. Yeah, of course, there's the Aztec New Mexico incident that we just spoke about the other evening. The 50s come along. Okay, and then you get a bunch of slew of UFO sightings. There's a 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO incident where a series of uh, radar company contacts at three separate airports in the D.C. area made front-page headlines around the nation. Like, who knows what that was? Then the Flatwoods Monster incident occurs in 1952. Six boys and a local woman report seeing a UFO land. Saw a strange creature near its landing site in the woods. And I was hoping we get to talk about that one, the Flatwoods Monster. Very strange story, very strange creature. One could argue this creature was robotic in nature or perhaps another creature in a suit of some kind. Of course, conventional explanation is going to say it's a bird. Everybody's going to tell you it's a bird, some kind of bird owl, some kind of owl bird. I'm not buying that. I think these people saw something crazy in the woods. And uh, and that's just where, uh, that's where I stand with it. I think they saw the Flatwoods Monster, nothing less. You know, it was uh, 1952, two brothers and their friend. 
They saw a bright object cross the sky and land on the local property of a farmer. They went to the home of Kathleen May where they told her story. And May, accompanied by the three boys and a couple local children, a West Virginia National Guardsman named Eugene Lemon, all went to this farm in an effort to locate whatever they saw fall from the sky. Group reached the top of the hill <clears throat> where they saw a red pulsating light. Eugene Lemon, the National Guardsman, aimed a flashlight in the direction and momentarily saw a man-like figure with a round red face surrounded by a pointed hood-like shape. Descriptions varied, and an article in Fate magazine based on tape-recorded interviews, UFO writer Gary Barker described the figure as approximately 10 feet or 3 meters tall, with a round, blood-red face, a large, pointed, pointed hood-like shape around the face, eye-like shapes which emitted greenish-orange light, and a dark black or green body. Kathleen may describe the creature as having small claw-like hands, clothing-like folds, and a head that resembled the ace of spades. According to the story, when the figure made out a hissing sound and glided towards the group, Lemon screamed and dropped his flashlight, causing the group to run away. The group said they had smelled a pungent mist and sometime later were all nauseated. The local sheriff and deputy had been investigating reports of a crashed aircraft in the area. They searched the site for the reported monster, but saw, heard, and smelled nothing. According to Barker's account, the next day, A. Lee Stewart Jr. of the Braxton Democrat claimed to have discovered skid marks in the field and odd gummy deposits, which were subsequently attributed by UFO enthusiast groups as evidence of a saucer landing. According to former news editor Holt Byrne, the newspaper stories were carried throughout the country. Radio broadcasts were carried on large networks, and hundreds of phone calls were received from all parts of the country. A national press service rated the story as number 11 for the year. A minister from Brooklyn came to question the May family. A Pittsburgh paper sent a special reporter. UFO and 40 arrivers like Gary Baker and Ivan T. Sanderson arrived to investigate. So everybody wanted a piece of what was going on with the Flatwoods monster. Local officials have erected a welcome to Flatwoods, home of the Green Monster sign, and a route leading up to town. Celebration of the legend, the Braxton County Convention and Visitor Bureau built a series of five tall chairs in the shape of the monster to serve as landmarks and visitor attractions. The town of Sutton also houses a museum dedicated to the monster legend and offers promotional merchandise. The Bureau rewards visitors who photograph all five chairs with a free Braxy sticker as part of their ongoing promotion. The monster legend is celebrated every year the town of Flatwoods holds its annual festival called Flatwoods Days. Holy smokes. A three-day festival weekend of live music and food and craft vendors. Well, what do you know? Flatwoods Days. Jot it on down. Add it to the list of all the days that I need to attend. Flatwoods Days. Yes. Oh, my God. That would be awesome. Three-day weekend of live music and food and craft vendors. Well, what do you know? What do you know? What do you say? You say, well, let's get down to Flatwoods Days. You know I'm a sucker for things like that. I am a sucker for things like that. <clears throat> anyway. The uh, Flatwoods Monster. Interesting stuff. Now, I think the Flatwoods Monster personally was a UFO-related uh, sighting. I think it was extraterrestrial in origin. I don't think it was a bird, as some people like to suggest. Um... You know, they say there was a meteor on September 12th, a meteor that was observed across three states, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Three flashing red aircraft beacons were also visible from the area of the sighting, which could account for descriptions of pulsating red lights and a red tint on the face of one of the supposed monsters. The shape, movement, and sounds reported by the witnesses were also consistent with the silhouette, flight pattern, and call of a startled barn owl perched up on a tree limb. I do not believe that what they saw was a barn owl. Like, you're not going to convince me that the Flatwoods monster was a barn owl up in a tree trying to look scary. This thing was 10 feet tall and made of metal with a dress on. And uh, it had a crazy looking head and like little talons for arms. I'm telling you. 
They encountered something wild in the woods. The Flatwoods Monster. Fun stuff, though. Absolutely fun stuff. Okay. Um, ooh. Ellsworth UFO sightings in Rapid City, South Dakota and Bismarck, North Dakota. Over two nights, a red glowing light was witnessed by 45 people. 45 different people saw this light. Occurring in 1953. Seen by F-84 pilots. But still listed to this day as unknown. Nobody knows what it was. Erratic motion was observed. It would remain stationary, then hop up several degrees, and very quickly, almost simultaneously, it would stop, move to the left, and swerve down a sort of slanting motion, repeating these maneuvers several times. Strange maneuvers. It's brighter than the brightest star I've ever seen. The entire incident had too much of Alice in Wonderland flavor for comfort. Uh, according to Dr. Hynek. In the late 1970s, Hynek confirmed his conclusion. That's how, exactly how I felt at the time. Air Force offered a number of possibilities as the cause of the sightings. Final synopsis, the objects would continue to go on record as unknowns. So they didn't know what they were, the Ellsworth UFO sightings. Strange stuff. 1953. 1953. This UFO stuff's been going on for so long. It's just been such a long time. There's the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, personally one of my favorites. After a dish-shaped craft uh, is seen, a group of strange goblin-like creatures are reported to have repeatedly approached a farmhouse and looked into the windows. Members of the two families present shot at them several times to little or to no effect. The encounter lasted from evening until dawn. Um, it is a crazy encounter of the Hopkinsville goblins. Uh, they also have a Hopkinsville uh, festival, I believe, to celebrate the goblins called Little Green Man Days. But yeah, the uh, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, uh, Kelly Hopkinsville goblins. A crazy story about a family besieged in the middle of the night by extraterrestrials. We were doing backflips and climbing on the roof of the house, looking into the windows, being all creepy. And, and the more they tried to chase them off, the more these creatures came uh, came back around. And some suggest, guess what that was too? Owls. Obviously, it was owls. So that's where the suggestion will come in that we're talking about owls again, but it's not. We're not talking about owls here. We're talking about extraterrestrials. You know, nothing less than extraterrestrials in the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. <clears throat> There's the Antonio Villas Boas abductions from 1957. He was a Brazilian. One of the first abduction claims. Antonio Villas Boas claims he was abducted and examined by humanoid aliens while working in the field at night. Uh, he also claimed to have been involved romantically with an alien aboard the uh, spacecraft while he was there. Uh, he went on to become a lawyer, though. So uh, Antonio Villas Boas, one of the first stories of being snatched up by space aliens. Uh, that's that's his tale. Uh, 1957, that's when that happened to him. So that predates Betty and Barney Hill by a few years. Definitely predates Betty and Barney Hill by uh, by just a few years. You know, we're talking about four four years here, uh, thereabouts. But uh, yeah, he uh, he claimed to have been uh, taken up by spacemen while working in the fields at night. He tried to run away on his tractor, but they made his tractor stop working, and then that was it. Then he was on their spacecraft, and it was too late for him. Then he was romantically involved with a space alien. 
It's too late. What are you going to do now? I I don't know. What do you do if you're in Antonio Villas-Boas situation? You know, you're just doing your job. It's late. The aliens have now come for you. And now one alien wants to seduce you. What happens here now? It's a strange, bizarre tale. I always find it strange whenever there's uh, romantic uh, relationships between space aliens and people in a lot of these stories. Because <laughs> they just make no sense. <laughs> they make no sense. Uh, it's, it's comical. Uh, one that is not comical, of course, is the Tatla Pass incident. Uh, mysterious death of a cross-country skiers in the Ural Mountains are due to official investigators uh, believed who have been called by an unknown compelling natural force, some claimed in relation to unidentified orange spheres. Uh, so, yeah, there were some people that claimed to have seen lights in the sky around the Dotla Pass incident. Uh, I don't know how true you know that is or how much your mileage may take you on that one, but uh, it is up for your uh, approval or disapproval whether or not you want to buy into it, but that's the case. Uh, let me see what time it is. Oh, it's time for the halftime jive. Here we go. Um, where is my music? Hi, everybody. How you doing? I want to thank you all for being here tonight. I appreciate you tuning in. This is where I do a little bit of housekeeping. So if you're new, I ask you to please subscribe and click that notification bell so you never miss a live stream. We do this every night. We delve into new mysterious topics from around the world and across time. And I hope that you're interested in that and you'll hang out with us. Um, also, check out the description of this video where you'll find links to my Twitter and my Instagram as well as my email and my P.O. Box if you'd like to send me books. I do appreciate a book, so if you're uh, so inclined, feel free to ship them my way. Uh, likewise, if you'd like to support the stream, there's two ways you can do that. There's the Spring Store, where you can pick up fun merchandise inspired by the esoteric and the extraterrestrial, the spiritual and the supernatural, and all that lies between. Like Hermes Trismegistus t-shirts, or Resist Reptilians, or of course... You know, uh, tote bags featuring a hollow earth. Uh, there's all kinds of fun stuff. So give it a check. Uh, you'll find something you love, I promise. Uh, lastly, if you want to support the show directly, you can do that through Patreon. For just a dollar a month, that's a quarter a week, less than the price of a cup of coffee. And I hope you feel what goes on here every night is worth that. You'll consider signing up. Big thank you to my Patreon supporters, both new and old, for believing in what we do here and for backing it with your buck. Thank you so much. Uh, that said, if you ever miss a stream, you can always check us out in podcast form on Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So check us out there if you ever miss us here live, like we do every night. Uh, so thank you for your time and your energy and your contributions to these conversations, as I said before. Now back to the stream. <laughs> I didn't have anything to strike it with, so I just used the microphone stand. I hope that was uh, adequate enough. <clears throat> yes, I hope that it was an adequate bell ring. So uh, where were we? Uh, of course, the Dala Pass incident. That, that precedes the Betty and Barney Hill incident by uh, two years. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill, of course, uh, widely publicized as an alien encounter. Uh, they saw a huge flying disc while driving their car late one evening. And later claimed they were taken by these extraterrestrials and, and medically examined by these extraterrestrials. Uh, they were later under uh, hypnosis, re recovered more memories of these uh, encounters they had with these creatures. Uh, and they were bizarre, to say the least. Betty also uh, produced a star map, I believe, of their location, which has been the source of some conjecture and some debunking. But uh, it is an interesting aspect of the story, to say the least. So, uh, yeah, Betty and Barney Hill. We did a whole episode about Betty and Barney Hill here on the channel.
there's the Kecksburg incident, of course. Uh, December 9th of 1965. Fireball was reported by citizens of six U.S. states in Canada over Detroit, Michigan, and Windsor, Ontario. Astronomers said it was likely to have been a meteor bloody, bolide, burning up in the atmosphere and descending at a steep angle. NASA revealed a statement in 2005 reporting that experiments had examined fragments from the area and determined they were from a Soviet satellite, but records of their findings were lost in the 1990s. NASA responded to court orders from the Freedom of Information Act requesting a search for those records. The incident gained no rarity in popular UFO culture and ufology. The speculation ranging from extraterrestrial craft to debris from the Soviet space probe Cosmos 96 is often called Pennsylvania's Roswell. On the evening of December 6, 1965, a large, brilliant fireball was seen across six U.S. states and Ontario, Canada, as it streaked over Detroit, Michigan, Windsor, Ontario area. Reports of hot metal debris over Michigan and northern Ohio grass fires and sonic booms in Pittsburgh's metropolitan area were attributed to the fireball. Some people in the village of Kecksburg, about 30 miles southeast of Pittsburgh, reported that something from the sky had crashed in the woods. Wisps of blue smoke, vibrations, and a thump. An early story in the Greensburg Tribune Review stated the following. The area where the object landed was immediately sealed off by order of the U.S. Army and state police officials, reportedly in anticipation of close inspection of whatever may have fallen. State police officials there ordered the area roped off to await for what expected the arrival of both U.S. Army engineers and possibly civilian scientists. When state troopers and Air Force personnel searched the woods, they reportedly found absolutely nothing. A subsequent edition of the Tribune Review bore the headline, Searchers Failed to Find Object. Authorities discounted possible explanations such as a plane crash, errant missile test, or re-entering satellite debris, and generally assumed it to be a meteor. Astronomy Paul Anier states the fireball was literally likely to have been a meteor entering Earth's atmosphere. Geophysicist George Weatherroylo discounted speculations that it was debris from a satellite and agreed the reports were probably due to a meteor. Astronomers William P. Bidelman and Fred Hess said undoubtedly it was a meteor bloaty. Blolide. Oh, I, I don't know if that's a bolide. Bolide. Okay. A spokesman for the Department of Defense in Washington said first reports indicated the reported fireball was a natural phenomenon. So, yeah, and then it winds up in scientific articles and NASA statements. Um, but, uh, yeah. Who knows what happened in Kettsburg? They came and got something out of there. They pulled something out of the woods. You know? And then their findings are lost in the 1990s. Oh, we lost them. Sorry, we lost them. Can't find them anymore. That's how it goes. That's how it goes in the land of uh, getting things done, I guess. Oh, man. It's wild. It's wild, all these UFO encounters, though. I mean, it really is. Kecksburg is just one of the crazier ones. Of course, there's Moth Band in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, 1966. This ties in with, uh, of course, Indrid Cold who was also a spaceman who was encountered around the same time by Woodrow Derenberger. This is also mentioned in the Mothman prophecies as written by John Keel. Well, there's as well men in black uh, incidents that are occurring uh, throughout the Point Pleasant, West Virginia area during the time of the Mothman prophecies where people are seeing the Mothman uh, up to the time when the silver bridge collapses. So uh, yeah, the Mothman harbinger of doom harbinger of doom. The Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Wild stuff there. <laughs> Cosmic Yogsagoth mentions, Imagine if all these stories are merely about owls and misidentified balloons. Geez, that would suck. Like, really, if it was all balloons and owls at the end of the day, I'd be very disappointed. I'd be very disappointed.
you know, uh, really let down. <clears throat> you know, because there's got to be more to it. There's got to be more to it than uh, than just balloons, swamp gas. You know, there's got to be more to it. Meteors. Shag Harbor UFO incident. A large illuminated object was reported to crash in the waters near Shag Harbor. Canadian Naval Search filed and officially referred to the object as a UFO. And there were other UFO sightings in the area at the time. 1967, Shag Harbor UFO incident. What was it? A yellow object as it was described? Brilliantly lit rectangular object with a string of smaller lights trailing the object. A silent explosion near the large object. Two minutes later, an explosion occurred, which faded and a blue cloud around the object. That was reported by Air Canada Flight 305. First Officer Robert Ralph pointed out to Captain Pierre Charbon Bonneau. There was something strange out of the left side of the aircraft at 7.15 p.m. An object tracking along a parallel course a few miles away. Something was wrong with that craft. Something was wrong with that craft. I think it was coming down. Daryl Dory and his sister Annette and his mother were sitting on their front porch in Mahone Bay when they noticed a large object maneuvering above the southwest horizon. The next day, Daryl wrote a letter to RCAF Greenwood Base Commander asking what was flying over the water that evening as he had never seen anything like it. While standing in the wheelhouse of his vessel, Captain Leo Howard Mercy was looking at four blips on his deck of radar that were stationary. When he looked up at about 28 kilometers from the vessel's window, he could see four brightly colored objects situated in a roughly rectangular formation. The entire crew of nearly 20 fishermen stood on deck and watched the object in the northeastern sky. Mersey radioed the rescue coordination center at the harbor master in Halifax, asking for an explanation, and, filled a report with Lux and filed a report with the Luxembourg RCMP out of his sight when they arrived in port. Lunenburg, rather. The Chronicle Herald and local radio stations reported that glowing objects had been seen by many people who had been called in their newsroom. The reported witnesses saw a strange glowing object flying around Halifax at around 10 p.m. So they assumed an aircraft went down. And it's still referred to as an unidentified flying object. They tried to find it, though. They did a search and rescue. They said no trace of any object was found. Something crashed. They found nothing, though. They sent divers down to the bottom. They found nothing. Maybe once it took to the water, it was able to extinguish its flames. Maybe they were able to rescue the ship of some way. It's a strange story. Shag Harbor UFO incident. Very strange one. Jimmy Carter claimed a UFO sighting. But he thought, it, you know, later on they asked him about it. He said it was Venus. Of course, of Pascagoula, they were fishing on the river and abducted by strange-looking humanoids in 1973. Charles uh, Hickson and Calvin Parker abducted by aliens while near Pascagoula, Mississippi, while they were just fishing. And that was it for them. They go down in UFO history uh, because of the Pascagoula abduction. Weird tale. 
weird carrot-nosed UFO creatures with lobster claws for hands uh, and stumpy legs that appear to be merged together. Uh, one could not really decipher how they would maneuver in the way they were described. Nonetheless, that's what they saw. That's what they, uh, you know, we saw there. Nineteen seventy-five, the Stonehenge incident, the in North Bergen, New Jersey. So this is a new one for me. It occurred on January twelfth, nineteen seventy-five. <clears throat> According to George Obarski, while driving, he heard static over his radio and saw the North Hudson Park, a dark round spacecraft with brightly lit windows hovering over the ground. Ten small hooded, identically dressed figures emerged from the UFO, dug up soil, and collected it in bags before returning to the craft. Obarski returned to the site the next day and found the holes. Months later, Obarski told the story to a ufologist, Bud Hopkins, who, with other ufologists, allegedly found independent witnesses, uh, doormen at the Stonehenge, who also reported visibly seeing the UFOs. The incident was told by Hopkins in The Village Voice and his 1988 book, Missing Time, and also in local newspapers. So it's got some Bud Hopkins seal of approval on this one. The Stonehenge incident. This is a brand new one for me. I just not familiar with this one at all. Um, but these aliens, uh, 10 small little aliens came out and they got to get their uh, soil samples, I guess. They dug up soil and collected it in bags before they got back in their spacecraft. And the next day he found the holes. I mean, so there was something there. I mean, he couldn't have been crazy. Couldn't have been wild in the, in the bonkers, you know. I mean, I guess maybe it could be, uh, but there were other independent witnesses who reported seeing the UFO. So we were going to assume that there was the same person involved here. 1975. Of course, 1975 was also Travis Walton. A logger who was abducted by aliens for five days. His six workmates were claimed to have witnessed a bright hovering object, silvery disc, and fled the scene, leaving him lying on the ground. He reappeared on the 11:10 at late evening in Herbert Overgarden. Walton described the events in its aftermath in his book, The Walton Experience in 1978, which was dramatized in the film The Fire in the Sky in 1993 along with scenes aboard the extraterrestrial vis uh, vessel significantly changed. Yeah, they really, I, I think they changed a lot in how the UFOs are described, the aliens are described in the book compared to the film. You know, you're, they're, they're weird in the film. It's gross. Gross creatures. You don't want to encounter them. Not fun. Not fun what they do to Travis Walton in this strange movie. Jacob M. for $2. Thank you, Jacob M. Much appreciated. What if it's balloons and owls working together? Well, thank you, Jacob. It could be. It could be owls working together in conjunction with balloons to trick everybody into thinking UFOs exist. That could absolutely be the case. Absolutely. So yeah, this uh, that that's a that's a fascinating instrument uh, incident to me, the Stonehenge incident, because I've never heard of this one before. You know, and they come to take these soil examples. Travis Walton, of course, uh, great story, great story. I think Travis Walton. I saw he was doing trading cards recently. He was signing them on uh, Twitter or something. I think they have to do with a new production he's involved with. So if you get your chance to, you can get some Travis Walton trading cards. I'd like to get one. I'd like to get one signed. I think that'd be pretty cool. You know. Of course, the Allagash abduction. Four campers were abducted by alien beings in the Allagash wilderness. Uh, they were out fishing. They were out camping. And they got scooped up in 1976. 
So a uh, very strange one. <clears throat> the Valentich disappearance in Victoria, Australia. Contacting air traffic control, an Australian pilot reported seeing UFO before he and his aircraft vanish. The Valentich disappearance of 1978. He just disappears off the face of the earth. Bloop, gone. Chasing a UFO. I think the UFO got him, took him, and never brought him back. He's probably out there right now living this wild life of a space adventurer because he had the backbone to chase a UFO. So who knows? Who knows at the end of the day? Uh, there was the Rendlesham-Woodbridge incident. Rendlesham Forest, a sighting by U.S. Air Force personnel, which at first appeared to be a downed aircraft, turned out to be a spacecraft. There's a lot to the Rendlesham Forest one. I'd have to dedicate a whole episode to Rendlesham Forest, I believe, but that occurred back in 1980 in the United Kingdom. Of course, in 1985, Communion by author Willie Strieber, who claims he was abducted by aliens while he was in his cabin in upstate New York. Communion uh, really brings the alien abduction stories into the modern era uh, with the work of Willie Strieber. There's the Gulf Breeze UFO incident of 1987. Ed Walters claimed to see a UFO and take photos of it. That was Florida in 87, down in Gulf Breeze. People were seeing UFOs left and right. They were everywhere. Let's see what else we got. The Phoenix Lights in Arizona in 97. Lights and craft of varying descriptions, most notably a V-shaped pattern, were seen by thousands of people between 1930 and 2230 Mountain Standard Time in a space of about 3,300 miles from Nevada line through Phoenix to the edge of Tucson. Later identified as flares being dropped during military training flights. So there we go. I don't know. Again, your mileage may vary when it comes to the Phoenix lights. Um, I think that was definitely a manifestation of some kind of extraterrestrial encounter that was witnessed by thousands of people, thousands of people. So uh, that's just my opinion on it. Cisco kid for four ninety nine. Thank you, Cisco kid. Much appreciated. Very generous of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Yeah, but I think in some cases these sightings are are the real deal, you know. <clears throat> Phoenix Lights, I don't doubt. I remember when that happened, you know. I remember when it happened. It made the news everywhere. It was all over the news. So many people saw the thing. Tens of thousands of people saw the Phoenix Lights. I think that they they saw something real there. You know, I think they saw something real there. That's just, again, that's just my personal opinion on the subject. But, you know, like I say all the time, my opinion doesn't matter at all. It's, it's really what you guys think that matters the most. So let me know what you guys think as we're coming up on the end of the stream here. <laughs> <clears throat> regarding the idea of these UFO creatures being from beyond the stars. You know, do we think, as some people would speculate, they are not even from beyond the stars? They're not from space at all? They're, you know, they're beings of uh, interdimensional capabilities who are nothing less than the fallen angels of, uh, you know, apocryphal Bible books that didn't make it in the canon? You know, is there something strange? There's that strange aspect to it. Or are they ultra-terrestrials that come here from our own world, who perhaps from the inner world? Or or do they uh, have some kind of world they can access that, that exists as an alternate reality overlapping ours?
You know, and I don't know. It's it's wild stuff. Cosmic Galaxy Goth of Dunwich Lovecraftian mentions the Cisco Grove incident in 1964, California. Yes, he did fight off robot aliens uh, about uh, robot aliens with a bow and arrow. <clears throat> he did fight them off. He hit up in a tree. The robot aliens came and they tried to knock him out with knockout gases and they tried to climb up the tree to get him. They shook the tree. The aliens tried to climb up the tree to get him, but he used his belt his canteen belt as a way to fasten himself to the tree. So the tree really saved his butt there. Uh, so he resisted the aliens all night and that's what you got to do. You got to resist those aliens. Who knows what they wanted from him when they sent out the robots. So I think he was really lucky to have been so prepared to, uh, to face the aliens himself. I'd be emotional about it as well. Cosmic galaxy got done with Lovecraftian. Uh, you know, Cisco Grove encounter is one of the strangest UFO encounters on record. You know, he got lost in the woods and here comes the aliens. So. So there you go. Like I say, your mods may vary when it comes to these things. Uh, but the uh, Cisco Grove encounter is, is definitely an interesting one. One that always stuck out with me. John Ward for an Australian $5. Thank you, John Ward. Much appreciated. Very nice of you. Thank you very much. Thank you for supporting the stream. We do appreciate it. You know, I, I think that, you know, with a lot of these stories, there's truth to them. I think the battle for Los Angeles, there was there was something in the sky that probably was able to withstand their bombardment uh, and was testing their capabilities. I think there was something unnatural in the sky, uh, the battle for Los Angeles. I don't think there was a balloon at all. I think there was something up there that was like, let's see what we can take. Let's see what they can dish. And, and that's what happened. Where it originated from, I don't know, but it's a fascinating tale. It's a fascinating tale when it comes down to it. Uh, I, you know, I think with uh, with a lot of these like independent abduction encounters, um, you know, specifically like uh, Communion or Fire in the Sky, Travis Walton or Pascagoula or Allagash, with a lot of these specific different abduction encounters. Uh, I think there's something to a lot of them, too. I think there's something that definitely happened to these people in regards to, uh, you know, encountering some kind of life form that was of non-human origin. You know. So, I mean, it is. Uh, it is what it is. It is, you know, that's just how it goes creatures from beyond the stars or creatures of our imagination creatures of demonic origin or creatures of interstellar origin creatures able to manipulate our reality or creatures of advanced technology you know i wonder if they are of advanced technology and they are organic beings why all the secrecy why all the weirdness why all the abductions you know why all that but that's what we wonder around here. We wonder all the time. Anyway, listen, we're coming up on the end of the stream here, so I'm going to play a quick video, and I will be right back. This kind of broadcasting only works in this country. Here in America, we put on the programs that you enjoy, and we simply come to you and ask you to support them, help this system of broadcasting work. We need to hear from you. We also are looking for a lot of new subscribers right now. So please, become a new subscriber and help us reach our goal of 12,000 new subscribers. But the most important thing is to get that money in and into our studios right away so that we can bring you more programs like this. And you can do that on a Visa, MasterCard, or American Express. Okay, okay, folks. You know, I like it to be nice and upbeat when we say goodnight with one another. 
So first and foremost, I want to say thank you to Jack D. Whiskey, Jacob M., Cisco Kid, and John Ward for your generous super chats and super stickers. They are much appreciated. Never expected, but always appreciated. Thank you so very much. I want to thank uh, my moderators, Tina Tumazuski, for being here tonight. Thank you for tuning in tonight, Tina. We do appreciate your time and energy and uh, those links you dropped with the quickness. Uh, to everybody else, I appreciate you all being here. I appreciate your contributions to these conversations. I appreciate your hour. Thank you for joining us, for spending this time with us. I hope you have a good one. Uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you learned a little something and we had a little fun. I hope that's really what it turned out to be for you. So, uh, listen, subscribe if you're new. Check out the links in the description of the video. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Spreaker, and iHeartRadio, uh, as well as here on YouTube Live every night. That's going to do it for me tonight. I uh, appreciate you guys again for being here. Uh, but that's going to do it. I'm tired. So listen, you guys have a great night. This has been the Creepy Little Book. I've been your host, Pete. And until next time.